0: i Invite like you to open your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. We'll begin reading in a few moments from chapter 16, verse 13. Have you ever been mistaken for someone that you're not? I've had people come up to me before and say, I know who you are. The problem is, the majority of the times, whoever they think I am is not who I am. One time I was at Krispy Kreme Donuts. I'm a purist, by the way. I have to drive all the way to Myrtle Beach to get the real Krispy Kreme Donuts, the ones that are actually made there and not just heated up and poured glaze over. And uh, so I was up there, and the lady's talking to me. She's looking at me kind of funny. She said, I know who you are. And, and I think I just ordered some donut holes or something. We'd gotten the, the dozen donuts, and they had donut holes. So I ordered some of those. Ended up getting them for free, which was really cool because she thought I was somebody. I, she said, I know who you are. I said, oh, really? Who am I? She, she said, you that Ed Pietrowski." Now, if you're not from the beach, we have a weatherman named Ed Piotrowski who looks nothing like me. He's a lot younger than I am, not even the same hair color, not the same build, nothing. But to her, I'm Ed Pietrowski. And so I played with her a little bit. I said, like, well, at first I said, no, I'm not. Said, oh, you're not fooling me. I was like, all right, then I'm going to go with it. What, what can I get for free? I said, well, I hope you're watching the weather tonight. I'm going to give you a shout-out. I should have called Ed and said, hey, just do me a favor. There, there's some donuts involved in this. Could you please say thank you to the Krispy Kreme lady? But I don't know about you. Have you ever been mistaken for someone else? Or people look at you and you kind of wonder, who do they think I am? Because maybe they're talking about Have you ever walked into a room full of people, like eight people are talking, and as soon as you walk in, they all quit talking and look at you? Does the thought ever cross your mind? I bet they were talking about me. Now, that may happen but once or twice, but if it happens a lot, you're paranoid. You might need professional help. But the passage we're going to look at this morning is where Jesus asked, I think, one of the most important questions you could be asked. And so I'm going to ask it of you when we get to that point of the passage, but let me read this Passage, just to give you context, I've been preaching through Matthew. And we've seen Jesus at times try to get away to a quiet place and the crowds followed Him. And not only did the crowds come to be fed and healed, but the religious people came too to test Him, to try to trap Him. And so He finally gets to this district of Caesarea Philippi. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So they come to this place called the District of Caesarea Philippi. I have a map. You're not going to be able to see all the little nuances to the things here, but you can kind of see Samaria, Galilee. This is the Dead Sea at the bottom. Go up to the Sea of Galilee, and really you've got to go up and and kind of left, well, up and straight, basically, to Caesarea Philippi. It's almost as far north as Jesus was ever going to go in his three years of ministry. And originally the name of the town was Panaeus which was a tribute to the Greek god Pan. In case you're wondering what does Pan mean, it basically was the universal god. They had all these gods they worshipped, and just in case they missed one, we better have one that kind of covers all of them, so they named it Paneus or Pan. And the next couple of pictures are pictures that I've taken at this place. This is actually a sign that you get. Can you see the temples there? These were temples and altars to all kinds of gods. Now, the next couple of pictures are actually ruins. These are more recent. These are ones I've taken. Go back. We're not through. Go back. Somebody wake Casey up. There you go. Uh, Down at the bottom, you see all the ruins. Those those are pillars. There's things written on some of those. Some of those, though, are uh, columns that would have been forming those great palaces and temples to these gods. And the next picture is... You see all those like carvings into the side of the rock? And a lot of those had writing on them. So this was a very religious place. Unfortunately, it was just a very godless place. And so imagine you're standing there and the disciples are looking around. It didn't look like this when they were there. It was in existence and all the temples were still there. But it's every God known to mankind except the one true God. And so Jesus asked the question, Who do people say that I am? And I think you need to know the context of the question because he's basically saying, I see all these other gods, and up in this region of Galilee, this northern area north of the Sea of Galilee, there's all these inscriptions and temples and altars to other gods. Who do people say that I am? And keep in mind, he's asking these, this question to the people who knew him best on earth. They had been walking with him for almost three years. They had heard Him teach. They had seen Him heal people. They had watched Him walk on water. He had done things like nobody else. They knew this was somebody different, but they hadn't quite connected until this point. I think we finally hear the confession that gives indication of understanding. So Jesus said, Who did they say that I am? And some people are real interested in who they think. My mom was personally acquainted with they. You ever heard anybody say, well, you know what they say? First time we went to get a sonogram when my wife was pregnant, we told my mom, we, we got a sonogram. Apparently they didn't do that back in her day. Got a sonogram and said, well, you know, they say that radiation isn't good for the baby. We're like, yeah, we're not sure radiation is good for the baby either. I don't think they're using radiation. This is a sonogram, not a radargram. But, My whole life I kind of grew up with, well, you know what they say. I was like, who are they? Who are these people? So the disciples speak up and they say, well, here's who some of the people are saying that you are. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Now think about that for a minute. A couple of chapters ago we looked at that. One person that was afraid that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead was a guy named Herod. He was married to a woman with a lovely name. Her name was Herodias. And Herod had had John the Baptist arrested, put in prison. He was afraid to kill him because he knew the the crowds were riot because people considered him a prophet. In fact, one of the Gospel accounts said Herod used to like to go talk to him. He was intrigued, interested, but Herod had stolen his brother's wife. And John the Baptist was going around saying, you shouldn't have done that, and he shouldn't have done that. But Herod was in power, so he could take what he wanted. Just so happened, both of them were married at the time, so he had to get rid of his wife. She had to get rid of her husband so they could be married. She brought a daughter into this union, and she waited her time. i got to get rid of this guy. So they had a party. Herod had a little bit too much to drink, made a promise, made a vow. The daughter danced. And Herod promised her anything she wanted, up to half my kingdom. Now think about that. Ladies, I don't know about you, but you know, if some guy, invite, you just dance and some guy says, I'll give you anything you want, up to half everything I own. And this guy was the richest person you know. You're going to come up with a better answer than what she came up with. She came back to her mom and said, Mom, you know that guy you're married to? He's a nut. He said, I could have anything I want. She said, ask for John to Baptist his head on a platter. I've always wondered, what was a girl do with a guy's head on a platter? Girls, have ever been a guy that you wanted his head on a platter? Kind of like, I'm going to keep my eye on you now. But that's what had happened to John. John had been beheaded. He was dead. And so, some people were saying, well, Jesus sounds like some of what we hear Him saying, He reminds us of John the Baptist. It's only one problem. John the Baptist is dead. Some say, you're Elijah. Again, what are they doing? They're saying, you know, the Old Testament prophet Elijah... The Jews held him to be the greatest Old Testament prophet. This, this was a great prophet. He went up, one of my favorite stories you find in 1 Kings, he went up in front of 450 false prophets of Baal. And he stood alone. He said, let me tell you about the real God. He said, why don't you, why don't you get an, a sacrifice ready, kill some animals, put it on a pile, and call for Baal to light the sacrifice. So they did it. They prepared it. Started in the morning. Cried out all day long until time for the evening sacrifices. They were crying out. In fact, I don't know if you find humor in Scripture. This is funny to me. Elijah said, maybe you ought to scream a little louder. They had already started cutting themselves to attract Baal's attention. Screaming a little louder, he said, you know, maybe he's gone on a trip. Maybe he's asleep and you need to yell a little louder and wake him up. What happens? Nothing. Nothing. So he prepares his own sacrifice, and he said, just to prove that my God's a true God, he dug a trench around it and said, fill it up. They poured water all over it until it soaked down into the trench. That wasn't enough. Do it again. Do it again. For three times they poured water over this sacrifice. And I know some liberal scholars have said, well, perhaps what they were pouring on the sacrifice was gasoline. <laughs> really? You don't think they know the difference in smell between water and gasoline? If you're drinking water that smells like gasoline, I encourage you, don't drink it. (laughs) So it's wet, and God lights the sacrifice. That's Elijah. And so some people say Jesus reminds us of Elijah because he's done miraculous things. And others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Again, a dead prophet who does have similarities to Jesus. He's called the weeping prophet because he cried over the sins of his people. Jeremiah's a fascinating guy. Go read his story. There's one point around Jeremiah 20 where he gets so depressed, he basically says to God, I wish I'd never been born. Because all of his friends were hoping he would trip up. They were, they were praying for his destruction because they didn't like what he was preaching. And so Jeremiah, one of the other prophets, here's the problem. Jesus was totally unique But they were trying to take something they were familiar with and explain Jesus by something they were familiar with. The problem with that is they never experienced anything like Jesus. There's not something familiar enough. I I find that we do that. You ever ask, like, why is it that all the freaky meat in the grocery store tastes like chicken? You ever ask that question? I mean, there's a buffet nearby that has frog legs on the buffet. Ask somebody, just go to the buffet and say, what what does this taste like? I promise you they're going to say, well, it tastes kind of like chicken. And I'm thinking, so what's the point? Because right beside it is chicken. I love chicken. It's the gospel bird. It's something, something spiritual about eating chicken. I'm not going to put a frog in a wheelchair when I can just eat a chicken. I had a student when I was a youth pastor who was in the Army Rangers and I actually ran into him in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. His name was Dale. And I said, Dale, what you been up to? He said, oh, it's been great. He said, we just got in an airplane and flew over Oklahoma. We had to parachute out and we were on our own. All we had was a knife and we were learning survival skills. He said, we had to find something to eat. And I said, what did you eat? He said, I killed a rattlesnake and ate it. I said, what did it taste like? He said, kind of tastes like chicken. I thought, well, it unfortunate you didn't find the chicken. I grew up in Macon, Georgia. We had a fast food restaurant. It didn't last very long. Had a drive through window. They served fast food rabbit. I'm serious. Fast food rabbit. Apparently, Colonel Sanders had some competition, you know. Little Bunny Foo Foo's House of Rabbit. You go through the drive through they wouldn't say drive around. They'd say pop around. No, I'm just kidding. I made that part up. But I asked people, I said, so what does rabbit taste like? Tastes like chicken. There, there's a restaurant in Charleston. I was standing there with a group of men one time, and they had one of those boards out there telling you what the daily menu items were or specials. And one of the things on there was baby alligator tail. I don't know why it made a difference how old the alligator was, but it's baby alligator tail. And I said, I said, watch this. I'm going to ask our waitress what this tastes like. Trust me. So she comes to the table. I said, I noticed you have baby alligator tail. I said, oh, yes. A lot of people get it. Have you ever noticed when you ask waitresses sometimes they've never tried it themselves? But, but a lot of people get it. Well, okay. A lot of people get the flu. I don't want that. <laughs> but I asked her, I said, what, is, what does baby alligator tail taste like? She said, I've heard it tastes kind of like greasy chicken. I'm thinking, well, you know, I really like chicken. If I want something that tastes like chicken, I'd rather have chicken, not something that's like greasy, stringy, wild chicken. Give me real chicken. But all people are doing is taking something you're unfamiliar with and try to use something you are familiar with to describe it. That's what they were doing with Jesus. So who do they say that I am? And so they get the answer. In fact, it's interesting, Jesus uses the question, who do they say the Son of Man is? That was Jesus' favorite designation. It's the one He most often used of Himself. It's used 88 times in the New Testament. The Son of Man. And it emphasized his humanity. And yet he was fully God. Now, I want to do this today a couple of times. I want to go from 2,000 years ago and I want to go to today. If you walk down the street and ask people the question, who is Jesus? What kind of answers would you get? Because I've done that before. and, And you'll hear some people give favorable comments about Jesus. He was a good man, he was a good teacher. Some people believe he never existed. Some people believe he's a fictional character. He's a myth. George Barna does research, and and if you've ever heard of the Barna Research Group, you can Google it look it up online. Last year published this report, and I found this interesting. 92% of adults in America believe that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. That means 8% don't believe that. But the majority of Americans at least believe that Jesus really did live. 56% believe that He was God, that He was divine. That means a lot of people believe He existed, but that He's not God. 46% believe Jesus lived a sinless life. I want you to see the slope we're on as religion in America. Because these numbers used to be a lot higher than this. But less than half the people in America believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. And part of that is there's been movies that have been produced about Jesus being married and sinned and all that kind of stuff. What do we really believe about Jesus? Well, we'll talk about it in a minute, but Jesus lived a sinless life. It's what the Bible teaches. So where they're getting their information from is just common information of people who haven't studied the Bible, do not read the Bible, and apparently don't believe the Bible. So 46%, only 46% believe he lived a sinless life. This is interesting. 62% of adults in America have made a personal commitment to Jesus that they claim is important in their life. 62%. So so the numbers aren't quite adding up. The majority of Americans believe in Jesus, that he at least lived and existed. They just don't believe he was God, wasn't divine. And yet a lot of those people who don't believe he's God have made a personal commitment to him. Well, what's the point of that? Of those 62%, 63, this is my last stat if you're following, 63% of those adults believe they will go to heaven because of a relationship to Christ. Wow. So of the 62%, a little more than 6 out of 10 Americans that say, I've made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, my question is, why? If... Only sixty-three percent of that group believes they're going to go to heaven. Now, I will say, being a being a follower of Christ is worth it, even if there wasn't heaven. But the good news is there is. Y'all ever seen those man on the street interviews where they stand there with a clipboard? Most people avoid those people. Every now and then, you just need to go and see what they're talking about. I read a newspaper story where. They posted eight pictures in the newspaper. And here was the question. Are you going to heaven? Eight people responded. And I don't know how many they talked to, but only eight they put in the newspaper. They put their picture in there, their age, what they did for a living. Eight of them. Not one single person said, yes, I'm going to heaven. That surprised me. But what might surprise you more is not one single person said, no, I'm not going to heaven. You know what they said? They said things like this. Well, I hope so. Okay. One person said, I've got a good chance. One person said, I'm 95% sure. So when asked the question, are you going to heaven? Odds are in favor of it. It's kind of like one of those little balls. You know, you ask that magic eight ball and it comes up. Odds are good. Do you really want to live your life when the Bible says you can know that you have eternal life? John says, I've written to these things so that you may know... Bring these things to you who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ that you may know you have eternal life, not so that you have a 95% chance. I promise you, it's not going to come down to a coin toss. You know, you face Peter at the pearly gates. Should I let you in or not? Well, let's just see. (laughs) Sorry, Tails. No. The Bible is clear. Trust in Christ and you will be saved. And yet, so many people in America don't even think they're going to heaven, even the ones who claim to have a relationship with Jesus. Who are these people? I'm sure that none of you in here feel this way. This is only occurring in other states far, far away from here. Now, the scary thing is there's probably a lot of church members who sit in a pew every Sunday who, if you were to ask them, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And their answer would probably be, well, I sure hope so. And let me tell you why they're hoping so. It's because the focus is all on them. I hope I've done enough. And they think maybe they're going to get to heaven and it's going to be good deeds, bad deeds kind of thing. As long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Let me just state emphatically, if that's your plan, that's your strategy, you're in trouble. The Bible says we're all sinners. How many sins does it take to send you to hell? One. We need a Savior who's forgiven us for our sins, who's taken them away so that we can raise this number of 63% of people who've made a professional, a profession of faith in Christ that believe they're going to heaven. You trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can know. You're going to meet people who say, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I heard a preacher say this one time and it's become my favorite answer to that. Somebody tells you, I don't believe in Jesus. Ask them, describe for me the Jesus you don't believe in. You don't believe in Jesus? Tell me about the Jesus you don't believe in. Because I promise you, whatever they say, you're going to be able to say, I don't believe that either. Let me tell you about the Jesus of the New Testament, the Jesus who is God, who came to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, died in our place. Let me tell you about that Jesus. The reason so many non-Christians are turned off to Christ is because they've met some Christians who are given a distorted view of Christ. Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? Let me take a moment just to ask the question, Who did Jesus say that He was? I'm going to go through these quick. These are all in the Gospel of John. You don't have to turn there. In John 6.35, He said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to Me will never hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. In John 8, 12, he said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In fact, that's the one thing that Jesus said, he's the light of the world, that he also said that we're to be the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the door in John 10, 9. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. That's one of the comments that upset the religious people because what's he doing? He's saying, I and the Father are the same. We're one. Eleven, twenty-five, and 26. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Then the last one, John fourteen, six. Jesus had this conversation with his disciples to tell them, hey, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Thomas speaks up and asks the question. It was probably on all their mind: Well, where are you going? And how do we get there? Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's, that's an emphatic statement with some definite articles there. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. What does that say about every other religion? It says that one or the other is wrong. You, you can't say, like one of my universalist friends, he said, Well, I just kind of, it's kind of like going to the smorgasbord, to the buffet. I'm taking a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Not if Jesus said, I'm the only way, and you can't come to the Father except through me. You've either got to buy all of it or none of it. That's who Jesus said that he was. But here's where it gets uncomfortable for some and for the disciples perhaps. When Jesus quit talking about them and He said, Who do you say that I am? Keep in mind, they're still in Panaeus, Caesarea Philippi. There's still all these altars to other gods. And Jesus has heard who they say He is, but now He asks the question, Who do you say that I am? And it's one thing to talk about who your youth group thinks Jesus is, who your pastor thinks Jesus is, who your parents think Jesus is, who your best friends think Jesus is. That's good. But where it really hits the road is who do you say Jesus is. And the reason it makes you uncomfortable, it's kind of cool to sit in a dark room and watch something on stage with a spotlight. We've all done that. You know, you're sitting back watching. You can see really good, but did you know the people on stage can't see at all? Because the light's in their eyes. It's uncomfortable. And that's what Jesus just did with the spotlight. For a while, he sat back with his disciples and pointed at everybody in the world. Who are they saying? And they had answers. But then when the focus gets onto them and he says, Who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up. And let's give Peter credit. Because most of the time, Peter opens his mouth. What is he doing? He's saying something stupid sticking at least one foot, if not both feet, in his mouth. You just kind of go, Peter, maybe you ought to be quiet. But Peter just told you. You knew what Peter was thinking. He just said it. And some of you don't have a filter. You know, you kind of or hang around people don't have a filter. You go, I don't think I'd have said that. Well, that's Peter. But he does it. He gets it right this time. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up. And he said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Up to this point, I don't know what they thought sometimes. They, they, there were things that Jesus did that they looked at each other and said, Who is this guy? They had seen him feed 5,000 people, but a couple chapters later, there's 4,000 that need to be fed, not counting the women and children. And, and they're kind of going, Well, you know, we got seven loaves of bread and a couple of sardines. What are you going to do about that? They didn't get it yet. They've seen Him calm storms. They've seen Him walk on water. They've seen Him heal people. Finally, Peter makes a profession of faith. You are the Christ. Literally what he's saying is you are the promised Messiah. What did that mean to a Jewish ear? It meant 330 prophecies of the Old Testament have come to fulfillment in one guy, and it's Jesus. This was highly controversial. Why? Because the Jews weren't ready for this. The Jews might have said he's a precursor to Christ, to the Messiah. But he's not the Messiah. No, the precursor to Christ was all the prophets and then John the Baptist. This was him. This was the Messiah. This was God who became flesh to dwell among us. That's who Jesus is. That's who he was. That's who he is. And Peter finally gets it right. What a, what a bold profession of faith. We've got to give Peter credit. And I love what Jesus said. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. I don't know why Jesus used that distinction. He doesn't call him Peter right here. He doesn't call him Simon Peter. He calls him Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah or son of Jonah. Again, stressing Simon's humanity. Now Jesus has been calling him Peter up to this point, but he He goes back, and this wasn't even throwback Thursday. He just goes back and says, You're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because flesh and blood didn't figure this out for you. He's basically saying, Peter, you didn't come to this revolutionary concept on your own. God's revealed this to you. God has taken, in fact the word reveal means to take the cover off. It means Peter, once you were blind, but now you finally see. And Peter, you're living among a generation of blind people who think they see, think they've got Jesus figured out and they want to compare him to a dead prophet or a John the Baptist. And yet Peter says, no, no. you're unique. You're not even a prophet come back from the dead. That would have been miraculous, but you're something more than that. You're the Messiah. You're the promised deliverer, promised throughout the Old Testament, who Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of those prophecies. And Simon said, That's who you are. And Jesus said, You're blessed to know that because God revealed that to you. So let me close the service by asking this pointed question. 2,000 years later now. Who do you say Jesus is? Not the person sitting next to you. Not your pastor, your youth pastor. Not even your youth group. Or your family. But who do you say Jesus is? And I want to ask it this way. If I was able to go to your friends and say, you know that guy? Who Who does he say Jesus is? What, what would I get? What kind of answer would I get? Would I just get a puzzled stare? I don't, I don't know. I've really never heard him talk or never heard her talk about Jesus. Or would I get an answer you don't like? Well, he apparently doesn't believe in Jesus. We've seen him live. <coughs> Who would your friend say you say Jesus is? Let me ask it this way. If somebody followed you, somebody just followed you and did what you did, Would they get closer to Christ or further away from Christ? Let me just say, I I don't know about other generations, but I want to tell you the generation we live in is desperately hungry for spiritual truth. And they are overwhelmed by spiritual lies. I think more than any other generation in my lifetime, there's a lot of spiritual information out there. A lot of options out there. And some people want to take the safe road. Well, I'm just going to believe all of it. There's a problem with that because you've you got to believe one or the other. Who do you say that Jesus is? If somebody followed you, would they get closer to Christ or further away? If you are a reflection of Jesus, what are people seeing in the mirror? If you go down here to the pier, there's an arcade there. They have a mirror. It's curved. It's supposed to be funny. You kind of get in it and I can position myself where it looks like I've lost like hundred pounds. The only problem is now my forehead's about this big and my teeth look like a rabbit's teeth. <laughs> you know, they're really long. And that's intended to be kind of funny, but it's given a distorted image. Here's the problem is the image you're giving of Christ distorted like that. The life we live ought to, re- ought to reflect the Jesus. Of the New Testament. So that if I were to ask your friends, who do they say Jesus is, they would say, oh, he believes in Jesus. She, she has trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior. We can tell by her life. She's not perfect. He doesn't do everything right. But he's living his life for Christ. That's who they say Jesus is. Bow your heads with me and pray as we close. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Jesus asked the question, who do they say I am? And then he got real pointed and asked, who do you say? And I just want that to sit on you for a minute. Don't get distracted by anything else right now. Just you, right there where you're sitting. Who do you really believe Jesus is? Because if you just believe he's a good teacher, you may take some notes. If you believe He's a good example, you might try to follow His example, but I promise you the focus is still on you. But if you believe He's the Messiah, the one sent from God to forgive sin, to save you, it's a game changer. It'll change your life. And I pray that would be the truth about your relationship with Christ. Father, thank You for that truth. Impact our life with it today. May we never be the same. In Jesus' name.